Okay, well, uh, welcome to Educate for Life radio and podcast. This is Kevin Conover. I'm your host, and I'm broadcasting from Southern California. If you are um, quarantined, right, I'm quarantined, so here I am at home uh, putting this together here and very excited. I have the opportunity to have Dr. Sean McDowell on our program today, and he is a professor up at Biola University. He's uh, got all kinds of credentials, um, uh, a PhD, and he also is the editor, author of over 20 different books. And I wanted to have him on today because in my discussions with skeptics and atheists, one of the topics that comes up all the time is um, the resurrection of Christ and the evidence for the resurrection of Christ. And so uh, recently, uh, Sean wrote a book called The Fate of the Apostles. And this really struck me because um, it's one of the arguments I used all the time um, growing up as a kid. I constantly referenced it. And so when I saw this, this uh, the title of his book, and I got to sit in his class and hear him talk about it, I thought, uh, man, I want to I learn more about this, and I want to see if this is an argument that uh, I should continue to use. So uh, Dr., Dr. Sean McDowell, uh, I just wanted to thank you for being on the program today. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of what you're doing, and, and remember you barely passing my, I'm just kidding, <laughs> nailed it with an A, and you've continued on having a ministry and influence of your own, so we're super proud of you. The team here at Biola loves what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Everybody at Biola is amazing, so um, I can't, re- if, if you're interested, if you're listening and you're interested in really learning about apologetics, um, really, Biola is uh, world class. I, I don't know if there's a better program in the world. Uh, based on the professors that we've got there. So that's a huge blessing. But um, Sean, I wanted to ask you about this. You know, you wrote this book, The Fate of the Apostles. And for our listeners, can you just give a real quick rundown on what is the argument that has been traditionally used uh, to, to persuade people that the resurrection actually happened? This is just part of the larger argument, but what is this? It's a key point that has been used frequently. Yeah, so typically throughout church history and by some pastors and well-meaning apologists, people have said something like, all the apostles, except maybe not John, died as martyrs. Therefore, what they believe is true, the resurrection happened, Christianity is true. Something of that variance. I heard that growing up, found it somewhat compelling. And then as I got into my doctoral research, I remember thinking, um, partly because I was with a group of students at Berkeley, and we brought in some atheists, agnostics to speak to our group, and one of my, we had this mythicist who doesn't think Jesus even existed. And uh, one of my students said, why would all the apostles die if, we, if Jesus didn't even exist? And the skeptic goes, how do you know any of them died as martyrs? And I sat there, and for the first time, I really thought, huh, I've never examined this myself. What are the sources? How good are the sources? How many sources are there? And I was just starting doctoral research, so it ended up becoming my thesis that I did doctoral level work on, published in the book. And essentially what I found is the way this argument is stated, we need to be much more careful. We cannot move from their willingness to suffer and die to the truth of the resurrection. It doesn't follow. Like you said very well, Kevin, this is one piece of a larger resurrection argument that basically shows the apostles didn't make this up. They sincerely believe that Jesus died, was buried, and subsequently appeared to them. This argument shows that they're not making this up and intentionally putting themselves in harm's way, but they really believe Jesus had appeared to them. That's it. So this argument doesn't disprove the hallucination hypothesis. We look elsewhere for that. 
but it does show that they really believe Jesus had appeared to them, and it's not some big conspiracy. They're not liars. So what I, w- what I really want our listeners to get across in the, in the short time that we have, what, what I really want um, to convey to them is, you know, during your research and writing this book and putting this all together, I mean, you spent, uh, I believe it was three years uh, doing your research on this. Um, how did your view of this particular argument change? And as people out there, right, because a, a lot of our listeners are people who are having discussions with their neighbors, their coworkers, their, the, the athletes on their team, and they're talking about Jesus Christ historically in the resurrection. And, and I have, uh, you know, skeptics saying, oh, Jesus never existed, or sure. we, can't, we can't trust the Bible. How did your um, view of this particular argument change over time? What did you learn? And how do you now approach things when you are having these discussions differently than when you did in the past? So when I started this research, I thought we could show that they all died as apostles except for John. My assumption was because I had heard that so often, although my confidence was a little bit lower going into it because I was going to do doctoral level research. As I got into the research, I started to realize that for many of the apostles, it's really hard to know where history ends and where legend begins, a good chunk of these apostles. Now, I think what I did is I took the 12 apostles of Jesus, and then I took uh, Paul and James, the brother of Jesus, who both, there's the claim that they saw the risen Jesus, and there were significant figures in the early church. So those 14, I think we can show with the highest degree of historical confidence that they died as martyrs. I think there's two, Andrew and Thomas, that at least minimally you can make the case that they're more plausible than not. The rest of them, I'm not sure we really know. So number one is I just think we need to carefully state what the history shows. But on the other hand, we don't have to show that any of them actually died as martyrs for this point to come across, because the key is their willingness to suffer and die for this claim. And all you have to do is read the beginning of Acts, and Acts 1, it talks in this prologue, what uh, Luke gives, he talks about uh, this appearances and spending 40 days with the apostles. Then you go down, I think it's verse 13, he lists them out by name. And then by chapter 4, they're proclaiming the resurrection and they're being beaten threatened, thrown in prison, and we see Stephen killed, and then ultimately James killed in Acts 12 too. So the way I frame this argument is, we know they believed they had seen the risen Jesus, and we know they were all willing to suffer and die for that conviction. And we have good evidence that at least some of them really died as martyrs. So I can't convince myself they're lying or it's a big conspiracy. They at least really believe that Jesus had appeared to them. Okay, that, that's great. Now, so, so um, you know, a lot of skeptics, you had a dialogue with uh, Paul Agia, I believe it is, recently. Yeah. Um, and it, he, he posted a video criticizing your book, The Fate of the Apostles. Then you responded. Um, I got a chance to watch both, uh, watch that uh, dialogue there. And then you ended up, um, I saw you ended up actually uh, having a discussion debate with him, uh, which was fantastic too. And if you're listening and you haven't seen that, this is worth your time to check out and listen you'll get a lot of information really quickly and really understand uh, the points of this argument. But, you know, uh, this keeps popping up in my discussions with skeptics. I recently debated John Gleason, the godless engineer. Um, He was on my program and we had a, you know, two hour discussion, very interesting. But one of the things he brought up, and I wanted to hear how you respond to this is, he basically said, look, 
I said, I gave all this historical evidence for the truth of God's word, for the Bible, and I gave all these points. And he said, just because these places and people that are listed are actually real places and people doesn't mean that the Bible's now true. And, you know, he, he said something to the effect, if you watch the movie Avengers and it references New York, you don't go, hey, the Avengers is a true historical event just because right. it, it references New York. How do you respond to somebody like that? Well, he's right technically that archaeology alone doesn't prove that a historical writing or any writing is true. But that's not the end of the story because we all know that Avengers is a made-up, fictional, mythical movie. That's the genre of Avengers. Avengers. But that's not the case for the Gospels. I mean, look at Luke 1.1. Luke says, many have undertaken an account to write and talk about the events that have happened among us. But I write to you, O Theophilus, to give you the certainty and confidence of these events. Now, in those four verses, this is an ancient way of saying, I am doing my due diligence to write genuine history. So the entire genre of Luke and the other Gospels and the writings of Paul are different than the Avengers. So when we get to a historical source like this, our entire case doesn't rest upon archaeology. That is one corroborating place that tells us, okay, Luke is intending to do this. When you go through Luke and Acts, you find that he got people right. They got events right. They got dates right, largely speaking, which helps confirm that he does care about these events and people and is telling a real story. And then you add on top of that the manuscript question. You look at other internal evidence. And you realize that we have good reason to think that the Gospels are reliable and true. That's fantastic. I love that. So, um, you know, along those same lines, uh, you, I believe, uh, tweeted a uh, quote from William Lane Craig recently. And the quote was um, specifically, uh, let's see here. The Christian faith is not based on the evidence for the resurrection. Mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of a uh, provocative statement. Uh, because that's something we've heard uh, constantly. Can you ex expand on that, uh, what, what your thoughts are on that? Yeah, so I think Christians make a mistake by saying our faith is in the Bible or our faith is in the evidence. My faith is in God and the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ, alone. It is by grace we are saved through faith. So somebody responded to that and critiqued me and said, you and Andy Stanley and all these apologists need to stop undermining the Bible. Our faith is in the Bible. And I said, I do have a kind of faith in the Bible, and I think the Bible's true. But ultimately, my faith is in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Now, how do we know about Jesus Christ? That's through the scriptures. That's through other ancient writings. And when it comes to the resurrection, I think there's two big ways we can know the resurrection is true. Number one, I think the Spirit can speak to us directly, as we see in Galatians, and as we see in Romans, is it Romans 8, um, where it talks about, you know, the Spirit, I cry out, Abba, Father. So I think somebody can know by the Spirit working in their heart, hearing the story of the resurrection, and it just rings true to them. I also think we can know that the resurrection happened by looking at the historical evidence and seeing that it makes good sense of what we know. 
So Craig is careful to say our, our faith is not in the evidence because what about people who didn't have the technology and training that you and I have, yeah. which is most people pre-internet through the history of the world. It doesn't mean they can't have a confident faith. So that's all that the general point was. That's great. Well, um, I love that too. And that, and that's really important because, uh, you know, people can put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through the experience that they have, through the testimony they have of other people that they see. Um, they don't have to be a genius apologist and have all the answers. I have, you know, some of my students are like, Mr. Connor, I'm never going to remember all this stuff, you know? <laughs> so I said, don't worry about that. You know what? Just uh, focus on the Lord and love him. You know, he's true, right? Um, so, you know, as you've done this research and, and um, when you were doing this research for the book, was there a lot of stuff popping up that you didn't expect or was this kind of expected for you? Oh my goodness. There was a ton of stuff I didn't expect. I'll give you one example is I didn't expect there to be any scholars who argued for the martyrdom of John. But not only are there New Testament scholars, there are conservative New Testament scholars like Ben Witherington and Richard Bauckham who argue that John actually died as a martyr. Oh, wow. And, Instead of uh, dying on the, the on Patmos. Yeah, that's right. Instead of yeah. dying a natural death. Now, I yeah. wasn't fully convinced by that, but that surprised me. And I just had a scholar this week send me a chapter he wrote. I haven't even read it yet. He's arguing for the martyrdom of John. Now, I want to believe that. It would make my thesis stronger, but I just <laughs> follow where I think the evidence leads. So that surprised me. Uh, another surprise that I thoroughly enjoyed was studying the fate of Thomas. Because Thomas, the story is that he goes to India. Yeah. And when you look in India, the way Eastern scholars and their culture records history is very different than Western scholars. So we don't really have uh, written records of Thomas in India for the first century plus. But because they didn't write history, doesn't mean they didn't have a historical sense about themselves and didn't record historical events. They do it through songs, through poems, through traditions. So I found almost in some ways kind of an ethnocentric dismissal of this entire Eastern tradition. And I read all these Eastern scholars, I contacted some of them, and it really just gave me a fresh perspective about how they think about history that I was just completely unaware of going into this. That is really cool. I love that. Uh, so, you know, You've, you've explored this particular issue, and there's a lot of different apologetic arguments that people have uh, to persuade, you know, uh, the evidence is that it makes the most sense to believe in the historical Christ, that he died, that he rose again. Um, are there other common apologetic arguments that you have now, ref now with your, you know, kind of uh, your radar on about apologetic arguments that may not be as strong as you once thought they were? Are there any others on your kind of radar that you're keeping your eyes looking at thinking, hmm, that's one I want to explore a little bit deeper and see how strong the evidence actually is? Yeah, I'll tell you, very interesting, Kevin. You've probably seen the book by Elijah Hickson and Peter Gurry called Myths and Mistakes in New Testament Textual Criticism. Mm. This book came out last year. Peter Gurry is, uh, he's in his lower 30s, teaches at Phoenix Seminary, and he is a textual critic expert. I just had him on my show like last week, I think it was. And it's gotten more hits than almost any other show I've done on YouTube because I think it really struck a nerve with people. Yeah. He walked through and talked about how sometimes we've overstated the evidence for manuscripts. Sometimes we've been inconsistent how we study manuscripts for, say, Homer with a different assessment than we do the New Testament. I mm -hmm. uh, talked about ways that we have not dealt with variants accurately. 
And that was really eye-opening. It was kind of the same way I approached the apostles, in a sense saying, we can make a good argument here, but we have to be careful and accurate in how we do it. And they did this for the New Testament. Wow. So I still think the early and the dating and the quantity of manuscripts is helpful. And the New Testament is set apart from any other book of antiquity. But we got to be more careful how we assess this. So reading that book, fortunately, they were very positive towards evidence that demands verdict. I kind of read it with fear and trembling, like they're <laughs> going to rip this book up. They were really positive. But even I read this, and I've studied this for years and thought, oh boy, I need to be more careful about this point and more accurate. So for your listeners, their book is wonderful, or they can go back and watch the YouTube video if it interests them. But why this matters so much is number one, Christians should just care about truth. But in the past, when my father start, started first speaking on apologetics, nobody could look this stuff up and double check it. Well, now they can. And if you and I say things that are inaccurate, it's going to undermine our larger case. Mm -hmm. So we just, not number one, because truth is good, but second, for reasons of credibility in our culture, we have to be that much more careful. Wow, that's a great message. I love that. Yeah, I know. Uh, um, I think that's popping up more and more is just a closer look at these arguments that we just took for granted in the past. And now we got to be more careful about that. Uh, that's fantastic. You guys, uh, if you're listening, my guest today is Sean McDowell. And you can check him out, seanmcdowell.org. He's got all kinds of resources on there. Um, he's got, a, you know, he's doing his own uh, broadcast now, which is fantastic. Very, very useful. And then he's got the Bible Apologetics Program too. So um, people, if they're interested in that, Sean, they can, they don't have to be live in person, right? We're all doing things online now. So the whole that's program right. can, is, is online now. So that's, uh, you've got people all over the world taking that. So we have two levels. You can come get a master's degree and we're doing this distance, or we have a certificate program. Uh, and in fact, if somebody wants a discount, if they go to one of my recent videos on, on YouTube and just look in the description, there's like a hundred dollar plus discount for people that our program's offering. If somebody's like, I want to study apologetics, not quite master's level, and I want somebody to guide me along, might be a resource that would help. That's great. Well, Sean, I just want to say thanks a lot for uh, taking time out of your day here to be here with us. And uh, I hope you have a fantastic uh, day. I know you got, got a lot going and stay safe during the quarantine. Hey, Kevin, I speak for the team here at Biola. We love to see our grads going out and making a difference. So you're making a difference. You know, you taught one of my nephews. That's right. His life, your radio show, be encouraged and keep it up. Thankful for you. Okay. God bless you, Sean. Have a great day.